Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. Today's SNS transports us all the way to Melbourne, Australia, where a young and talented musician, also singer-songwriter, has been wowing crowds via national radio play and numerous live gigs for well over a decade. With two albums already under his belt and his third, Spectrophilia, to be released shortly, is there no stopping the boy from Whanganui, New Zealand, who dared to dream big? Let's take a listen to some of his work. Ladies and gentlemen, with catchy and heartfelt rifts, intelligent and thoughtful lyrics, and a refreshing honesty that is rare to find, put your hands together and give the warmest welcome to Mr. Brad Wolf. Wolf, musician, singer, songwriter, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to SNS Online. G'day, Nick. How's it going? <laughs> G'day. <laughs> Bless you. No, no uh, cliches there at all. Uh, so, what's the weather like in Melbourne? We're just coming into summer now. We we have had a, a glorious summer, which is you know pretty pretty standard for Australia. Not necessarily standard for Melbourne. Melbourne has the sort of Auckland temperament of four seasons in one day, as as uh, Crowded House put it. <laughs> but uh, winter has arrived, it seems, early, um, and today was is absolutely freezing. But it's all right. I've I've kept the day free, and I've I've barely got out of bed. So. <laughs> 
I mean, I just wanted to talk about some of your your amazing music. I've heard so much of it. And I, what's striking me is there's a real epic vibe to some of it. It's like sort of hitting the ground running, ballsy, confident starts to, to many of your tracks. And, uh, you know, really catchy. And I, I'm very eclectic in terms of your influences. From my point of view, it seems to come from like sugary pop to ballads to a dark 80s Depeche Mode slash soft cell vibe uh, with great titles as well, full of intrigue, which draws one in. Also good production as well. Thank you. Well, um, just just going back to, uh, did you say dramatic? Well, that was uh, there was you know you said epic. That's right. Epic. No, so there there is this. I had a, I had a description recently on another group where it was like I think someone said it was um, dramatic songs, <laughs> which I really loved. Um, I, I, I guess, and, and you're right. There is a, is a huge range of, of influences there, and, and I hope that comes across. Um, I I mean I, I come from a, a theatrical and, and writing background myself, um, and so obviously with these songs I, I try and tell stories and and, and lyrics. Are are just as important to me as the music. I wouldn't want to be a bookmark either. I am quite hard pressed to find you. I wouldn't want to be a space between the dead and the driver. I have lost my place, but I'll find it again. I will start from the start while you skip straight to the end. All these bookmarks, chapters I should close, keep coming back for seconds to that same old story I know. I mean, I love the fact that it is very eclectic, so there are a lot of different styles. I've been looking at your influences on your um, Facebook like page. Um, you got people, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, I mean, gosh, it's people like so Madonna, good. Lady Gaga, Tori Amos, uh, <laughs> David Bowie, all that lot. Oh, of but, course. Um, yeah. I, I, it's interesting that uh, some of these, sort of the, the darker 80s ones, like Soft Cell and Depeche Mode, aren't actually listed on there. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that page because I do remember doing it, but I haven't updated that in, oh, gosh, probably 10 years. <laughs> and that's not to say that those people aren't still and were not influencers. Um, but, yeah, there, there probably should be an update on it. Um, I, I mean, there are artists that I've, I've come to later in life as well or, or maybe didn't appreciate so much and have later come to. And I have kind of gone down that electronica road. I, I started doing a lot of folk live acoustic stuff i think a lot of people do have a wonderful life his mother said that night the white boy took for his wife the right boy um. But I also love I love country music secretly. Mm. <laughs> so someone like Dolly Parton, I listen to a lot of a lot of bluegrass and um, Dolly Parton and um, Loretta Lynn is one of my favorites. Johnny Cash. So release yeah. a country album, man. Release a country album. Oh god, come on, oh, be well, bold. Kylie, Kylie's just done that, so I have yes. to have a little bit of a break. Uh, well, yeah, well, so. that was pretty awesome, wasn't it? I, well, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. My yeah. favorite of hers is, is, is still the X album, um, which a lot okay. of her fans actually don't like. I, but then again, one of my favorite Madonnas is American Life, which a lot of her fans don't like either. So. <laughs> then I, uh, I'd say got discovered, as it were. That probably makes me sound bigger than I am. But you know, I, so I started. I started working with other producers and 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 so forth. And that all came about through doing live acoustic gigs. And so I started working with people who um, did do a lot of electronica. And my, my particular sort of brother-in-arms 
Sam Panetta, he actually did um, Kylie Minogue's first locomotion demo and worked with some amazing Australian artists back in the 80s and, and um, he loves his electronica and his synths and all that kind of stuff and so he, not only did he take a lot of my songs uh, that were primarily written on guitar, which were on, on my first album, mostly The Rise uh, and he did what I call I call he sort of slutted them up Hello. you know, he took these these <laughs> girls, these songs and, 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 and turned them into their sort of big electronic sisters, but while he was doing that, I was there the, the, the the whole time and we work extremely well together um we'll have extremely uh robust discussions and then then agree generally but uh while we were doing that though i actually i learned so much i actually started i was watching i've got this sort of magpie mind where I'm, i was watching what he was doing and i started to learn how to produce as well so i moved from writing solely on guitar to actually starting to write on keys and then starting to actually produce my own electronic stuff Is it like the letting of old love or a signature of blood? What does it take to make you mine? Is it like the rapture or the flood? Is it strong enough to stand the ever-burning test of time? Perhaps I could accept the status quo and feel the pain and let you go. Oh, you could. I mean, clearly you are evolving your own music. I mean, obviously we are all influenced by different artists, but there's, you know, something new is being produced. That's the most exciting thing. Well, one, one thing I do is that often when people compare me to someone, if I haven't heard of them, I'll go out and, and, and you know, deep dive into them. And um, one one great thing <laughs> that's really easy to do, actually, is, is that people don't want CDs anymore. Now, we are moving into this digital world, and that's great. And I'm glad at least there are platforms like Spotify and stuff that do monetize, you know, people listening, which does counter piracy to a point, even though it's got a little bit of a way to go. But one of the mm -hmm. wonderful things about that is that there's, there's a lot of stuff that isn't still digitalized, and you can't go on and find it. Like, there's this wonderful song called... Um, uh, room that echoes by a New Zealand electronic group called I think it's Peking Duck. No, it wasn't Peking Duck. It's a modern one. <laughs> Sorry, but um, Peking Man. Anyway, it was in the 80s, and it's this wonderful track. And I, and I, I suddenly it popped into my head, and I went to find it, and I couldn't find it anywhere, and it hasn't been released digitally online. And so one of the things I've discovered is that um. Because everyone's sort of embracing this this digital world, which I do too, um, no one really wants, no, not a lot of people really want CDs anymore. So you go on eBay and you can find the most amazing albums, like in brand new condition on CD for like two bucks. It's, it's just incredible. So so someone said to me recently, you sound like Ultravox. So I dived onto eBay and I got the greatest hits of Ultravox for, for $2 and they are fantastic. <laughs> so early days, Mr. Wolf, tell us all. I grew up in, in New Zealand. Um, I was born in a small town in New Zealand called uh, Whanganui, Whanganui as the locals call it. And um, I always had the theatrical and performative bug. And I, ca I come from a really kind of straight lace, not conservative, but, but you know, New Zealand's got that, that stoic kind of colonist kind of thing going on. And so, you know, like uh, being a, a young, as, as it later turned out, a young gay man, but being a young man who was into the arts and, and theatre and music and so forth, um, obviously I always sort of had that, you know, I stood out a little bit from the crowd and I certainly didn't quite fit in with my own family in terms of they were all sports mad and, you know, New Zealand loves the rugby and everything's rugby and all that kind of so sort of, um, yeah, that thing. Mm. 
I was always extremely stubborn and headstrong and, and still am and so I never really even tried to <laughs> to embrace that despite what they what they tried to make me do I um you know I, my father was a coach on all these sports teams and I used to literally fake asthma attacks to get off the court in basketball games and, and you know that sort me of stuff. I was too. a little I was, <laughs> I was a little shit I was an absolute little brat but I, I had the the fortune and the misfortune um of I was born very late in my family so I had I had three I had two brothers and a sister and they were all about a year apart and then I came about 10 years later and and that that, that was a difficult dynamic uh, but the one one wonderful thing about it was that my as I was sort of about sort of seven eight nine years old uh, my brothers were in high school and so one brother in particular he um, was just he bought cassette tapes all the time and so I used to go and steal his cassette tapes and, and copy them and so I was introduced to all this music you know um, amazing stuff and of course I discovered Madonna Just absolutely fell in love uh, with that kind of sound, and but everything too, you know, um, Wilson Phillips. Why do you lock yourself up in these chains? Um, Banana Rama. Wham. In excess. We were quite a poor family though, and I always wanted to take music lessons, um, but. I don't know about you, but in New Zealand in public school, it was always the rich kids that did the music lessons, mm. and not and not my not my type. So I never did take music lessons, but I used to write songs and write lyrics, and it was always something I wanted to do. And we had this um, a, a piano that my father had put out in in this big old shed that we had in in our backyard. And I used to go, and it was terrible. It was falling apart. There were keys missing. It was completely untuned. And um, I used to go out there, and I would just play by ear for for absolutely hours. And and that was kind of my first exposure to actually composing. Because I was thinking um, you might have had older brothers and sisters who or your parents uh, played instruments. And so is all this your own work? I mean, you're a singer-songwriter, but also a musician. Are you playing most of what we hear, or you've got other people involved? Um, no, I absolutely wrote all these songs. Uh, well, occasionally there's like a 50-50 thing. Um, but no, I, I generally, most of the songs on the rise were, were written originally on the guitar and I can I have all guitar demos of those. And um, I, I'm not a great pianist or keyboardist, but I do play a little bit. And I'm actually playing on the, on the new album, which is exciting. town in New Zealand and, and went to University of Wellington and I ended up, I started doing law for a couple of years and um, I, I hated it. I was pretty young though, I was, I was, I'd, I'd sort of been fast tracked in education and so I was sort of, yeah, way too young, I was doing law, a law degree, hated it, ended up doing a performing arts degree. Yay! With, um, yeah, and with a with a minor in religious studies actually. Oh and my then god! A, yeah, and then a and then an honors degree in script writing, and so then I, I that was in Wellington, and then I moved up to Auckland and lived there for a while, and I was on screen, I was acting in TV shows, and I was also behind the scenes doing research and writing and Ooh, so forth. Oh, tell and, us more about that. That sounds really exciting. 
Yeah, so um, I my first paid job out of university was my I had a six part um script series that was optioned uh for a TV network um but uh, at the time there was an election coming up and as you know when elections happen as you've you guys have got lots of chaos going over there at the moment mm-hmm. uh, there's always lots of motives and, and things happening so um that didn't go anywhere but out of that I managed to meet people and scored lots of research jobs and then I got a role on New Zealand has a show called Shorten Street. Is it you? So it's kind of like Australia's got neighbours or home and away or, or um, England's got EastEnders um, or Coronation Street. New Zealand has Shorten Street. So, so I was on that for a couple of weeks, uh, just a minor role, but I was actually, I broke up a marriage. So that introduced these new characters. And um, it oh, was that's like three awesome. sisters. So there's these three sisters and they were trying to lead the audience astray by making it appear as if one of the sisters was having an affair with, with um, her sister's fiance. Hello. And it turns out it was actually me. He was having a gay affair. And so I was a cliffhanger for the very last week. But then my agent said to me, um, you played a gay character, so you won't get anything for a while. So you may as well just go quiet for a while. And it was uh, a funny sort of thing to say. What? Well, it's, it's some, well, yeah, it's something that's come back still in the music stuff as well, which we'll get mm. to. But um, so I... I um, I actually had a, a, an acquaintance in university. Uh, he'd been in this TV show in New Zealand. He was a non-speaking extra playing a stripper at a gay bar. <laughs> and then about a year later, he got a, a, a contract with a with a toothpaste company and was paid like $30,000 for this. <laughs> as, as, and, you, I mean, as you do. <laughs> as you do, yeah. That and really I mean, segued well, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, there's huge money in advertising. So, you know, as an actor, you get, or anything, you get that sort of role, you take it. But then they found out that he'd done this, this gay stripper role, even though he was just in the background. And they sued him for the money back and they pulled oh, the campaign. Yeah. So there was this real sense. This was about 2005, 2006. So there was this, still this sense of, of homophobia, which was mm. which was shocking. So I actually stepped back a bit and I moved back to Wellington and decided I became an account manager for a company. How exciting <laughs> is that? Uh, and that's when I really started to focus on writing songs. But then I was just so bored. New Zealand's lovely, but very small yeah and i wanted to go further afield and so i came to australia and i came to melbourne and i had a terrible time trying to find work and ended up basically um just doing a lot of hospitality work and it was the best thing that could happen because hospitality lots of actors and musicians all you know just doing these sort of casual bartending and waiting roles and um out of that i managed to you know an artist wouldn't show up for a gig and I'd sort of, as the waiter, put my hand up and sort of say, well, I'll, I'll do a gig. I've got my guitar out back and I can play some songs. And that's really how the music started. And if there's nothing here, what else can I say? You should be thankful that I gave it away. And if there's nothing to fear by being straight... No, it wasn't intentional. I never came to Melbourne with the intention of, of pursuing the music. It really was quite coincidental and accidental. You're listening to Brad Wolf on SNS Online. Let's get to one of your tracks now. Now, I've been listening through um, all your uh, uh, portfolio, shall we say. The first one I'm going to pick is, as I said, I picked up on this Depeche Mode vibe. Black Sheep. I love this track. Let's have a listen. This bed empty 
Black Sheep from Brad Wall from his debut album, The Rise. Um, yeah, I really like that, Brad. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was my, my third single. Um, I wanted to, I always actually wanted to do a video for that, and we never got around to it. That was actually because I'd, I'd gone up to Sydney for six months. But anyway, jet-setting life. But, but you've got, no, that was, just, uh, to that say, was... just to say, I, I've just noticed your, all your videos on YouTube as well as four videos, and they're really classy and proper slick and professional. You look like a proper pop star, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did. We did do. Um, we did three full, uh, full production videos of, from the rise. And I actually had a. I had a friend who um, went to um, Mount Whistler. He's, he's an avid skier, and he chucked a, a GoPro on his helmet, but he did it backwards, and he's skiing down the, the slopes. And it, it's amazing. This amazing video, and he put it up on on Facebook, and he said, "Oh, has anyone got any music they'd like to uh, give to me to put this on my YouTube so I can share it with all my skiing friends?" And, and I said, "Yeah, well, you can use my song." And then it turns out. That song actually became the the sixth and last single from my first album, and so that actually became the official video. So um, yeah, which which is funny because the song actually sings about being on a tropical island, and then you got this video where he's skiing down the snow, which is this great juxtaposition. <laughs> and I would like to pretend that's intentional. So. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about it's about my family life. Like I, like we already sort of touched mm. on. They 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 are conservative, and you know my I've got a sister who's a lawyer, and my brother's a physiotherapist and headmaster. <laughs> Um, and, and we did grow up very poor as well. And so we've all made something out of ourselves, which is wonderful. But, um, yeah, there, there are there are tensions there. Mm. And obviously I've gone down the, the creative life, which is the first tension. And then secondly, being gay is, yeah. is probably the biggest tension of all. But, yeah, so that's, well, so that's what it's about. Really. So would, I'm the black sheep of the family, or as I like to say, I'm probably the pink sheep of the family. Oh, and being a Kiwi, um, the sheep metaphor is particularly episodic. So. Well, Brad, if you will choose to be gay. <laughs> I'm so, know. you know I'm so joking. 
no, that, no, that I've got so many stories. Oh God. Awful, awful. Yeah, I've just, I'm just looking through my notes here. So I've got like loads of amazing and, and unusual production tools that enhance the piece and add almost an outer worldly epic. There's that word again, epic nod. Again, is that this theatricality that you like to sort of infuse with your uh, music? Absolutely. Um, and, and the funny thing is, I'm, I'm quite a, um, a visual writer and, mm. and, and also a visual sort of songwriter yes. um so so often i uh, pretty much for every song that i have on the albums if i had the budget i would be dropping beyonce style visual albums as well um yeah. you know like and, and so so i do have that, that that epic quality i think um yeah i mean I, I i get into i literally stand in the recording booth and i move and dance and sing which can be quite hard because often these booths are quite small <laughs> so you know, you've got to be very careful not knocking the microphone as well so and it's funny too because um if you have an off day or you do you get in there and you do your first take and you're standing still it, the producers can hear it they're like okay do another take and you do another take and you'll, <laughs> then you'll dance and then and you'll, you'll pretend you're on stage or you'll, you'll, you'll pretend you're in the video in your head and they'll be like that take was great whatever you were doing then keep doing it and it's funny because you sort of say well actually I was I was pretending I was on stage at Wembley or something but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I find your, um, as I said, your titles intrigue and, uh, and some of the lyrics as well you know you're a very good writer of lyrics well, no, I mean, I mean, I guess, like I said, my, my background creatively was prose writing and script writing. So I used to write a lot of articles for newspapers and, and fanzines and that sort of stuff. I used to write scripts. And um, so I guess I, I had and I, I read, I, I still read voraciously um, when I have time. Uh, so I guess that's really my influence. But I also grew up on on influences like um, people like Tori Amos. I don't know if you know her that well, but she's just the most amazing lyricist and poet. People often ask, like, hey, where does a song come from? Um, do you get the lyrics first, the melody first, or the beat first? And, and honestly, the answer is yes to all three. Um, sometimes a song will come to you as a melody and then you put the lyrics to it. There's this wonderful story about Paul McCartney writing yesterday with, with something like um, scrambled eggs, baby, how I love your legs. And then he changed it to <laughs> yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. So sometimes you can write a song and, and the lyrics later you change. But yeah, I, I, I do I do write a lot of poetry as well as, as lyrics. The notepad in my phone is, is absolutely full of ideas. And when I used to work at a checkout at university, I was always scribbling down ideas on the back of receipts and that sort of stuff. Strange feeling being homesick for nowhere. Strange knowing no place to go. No dog in a Sunday night backyard. No place to call a home. They build you up to watch you fall. I can't tell if I am falling or flying no more. They don't tell you. Just on 
that note of talking about the LGBTQ thing is it's an interesting aside because mm. when I got to Melbourne and I was doing all the, the live stuff, but I was doing a lot of gay bars. There was this wonderful phase in Melbourne where a lot of the gay bars were doing live music and it wasn't just me. There were, there were other artists as well. And, but when I got uh, sort of signed, as it were, to do the rise and, and then subsequent albums, um, I literally was told to scrub my gay presence, to stop doing gay bars, and to change things like he and him in songs to them and they mm. and other stuff. And I did it. And I think, you know what, it was a bit of a sellout thing to do. But at the same time, when you've worked as long as you have to try and get that break and you feel like you're going to lose it or compromise it by, you know, being almost activist in your in your mm. music, which is what a lot of them thought still at the time, even though I don't think it was necessarily the case. There was just that hangover from back in the day when it actually would have killed a career. And I don't mm. think it's true anymore at all. But I did that. And so on the rise, there's a song called Don't Go Home Without Me. So slow, so and the first um, line is, oh, love, I still smell you on my pillow. I'm alone and I don't know and all that sort of stuff. And that oh, love line was actually, oh, boy. Oh, love, I still smell you on my pillow. I'm alone and I just don't know why this night goes so slow. Oh, love, I changed it to oh, love. So, um, and... I kind of justified it to myself by thinking, well, I want to reach as many people as possible. And if someone hears this song, whether gay or straight, they could still sort of relate it to their own situation. And I still, look, that is, a, that is, a, that's true. And I, I do think that. Um, but if you listen to The Rise and the Fall, I never once actually talk about being gay. But my next album, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I just decided, excuse my French, fuck it. I'm mm. going to go forth and, and be as open as possible. Uh, and you've totally. heard an early you've heard an early mix of the new album, which yeah, most yeah. people haven't. So mm. uh, and as you know, there it's pretty open. There's no denying it. So. No, I think it's wonderful that you're you're so sort of ballsy out there and saying, Well, this is who I am. And I think it's very important that you do that without without it being a big deal necessarily. And uh, and I also get why you felt because you were a lot younger then and you know I, I, I saw not. I saw a video. In fact, it was probably one of your first videos. I can't remember the song. You have to remind me. Which did imply a sort of a fractured a, a fractured relationship with a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, that was uh, that was a song called Oil and Water, which is still one of my favourites, and a lot of people actually say it's probably one of my best, and I love it. Um, and but yeah, I, I did the video where I, I have a girl as as a partner, and look, it was around that time when we were doing the first album, and. Um, yeah, look, I wasn't. Oh, look, who am I kidding? I, I guess I wasn't really trying to sit out to convince anyone. I was straight, but at the same time, <laughs> well, those tight T-shirts, you weren't fooling anybody, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, all the all the plucked eyebrows, I imagine. <laughs> Let's have a listen to uh, "Oil and Water" with an added exclusive stripped back version, focusing on the text that'll follow after. I will show you just how capable I am of loving someone again and I do love a challenge but I love you so much more than just loving you as a friend and what do I do from here where do I find the wisdom I need to make amends and where do I go from here is there an easy to where the story and though I never believed that some love couldn't be mixed still here we are deep in the remix with 
wish I was not to fail, but never meant to be pretty. And what do I do from here? Where do I find the wisdom I need to make amends? And where do I go from here? Is there an easy answer to where the story ends? Though I never believed that some love couldn't be mixed, still here we are. Then rise from the ground We'll see if you're dark in the sun And if you're water Then let me drown And prove I'm the innocent one We sink with the sun your eyes you've seen it too seen what the wolf there is something of the wolf about you i will show you just how capable i am of loving someone again and i do love a challenge but i love you so much more than just loving you as a friend and what do i do from here where do i find the wisdom i need to make amends where do i go from here is there an easy answer to where the story ends? We're not oil and water. We're wine and water. But is walking on water what I have to do to make you see? We're not mixed up. We're just lost. We're weak in a fight that makes the world weak at the knees. And I do love a challenge. But I think you'll find my love is blind. And there's more than a devil in me. And I can't cast this love out. Perhaps this love we share was not to fear, just never meant to be pretty. And what do I do from here? Where do I find the wisdom I need to make amends? Where do I go from here? Is there an easy answer to where the story ends? We're not oil and water, we're wine and water. But is walking on water what I have to do to make you see? We're not mixed up, we're just lost. 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 We're weak in a fight that makes the world weak at the knees. That was so lovely, Brad, to hear your lyrics stripped back, as it were, um, as prose, 
Thank you. I wrote Oil and Water. I actually um, was <laughs> I was heading into to a home studio with somebody. Now I'd, I'd just done a um, at the time I hadn't actually been signed, and I had a um, charity gig for elderly gay and lesbian, well GLBT uh, seniors. It was around Christmas time. And um, they there were seniors who had no family, and so I'd gone and performed at this this community hall. And um, I met a, a sound engineer who later became a very good friend of mine. And he was dropping me home, and he said, "Look, I've got a home studio." And at the time, I I didn't. It was the first person that ever sort of gave me that break of actually having some half decent recording equipment. Do you want to come and, and record some songs? Because I've been writing songs, and I I was so grateful. And so I said, "Yes, let's do that." And I was waiting for him to pick me up on the Saturday morning. But at the time, I'd actually just um, had the most horrible breakup with an absolute love of my life, one of those mm. one of those major loves of your life. And I had nine songs to record, and I didn't like the number nine. For some reason, I wanted like a solid ten. And so I wrote Oil and Water, those lyrics and that melody, the whole song, in about 40 minutes while I was waiting for a car to pick me up. Yeah. Um, and it's since turned out to be probably one of my most um, popular songs with people and one of my favorites as well. Um, it's Thankfully, it's stripped itself of the association with the circumstances of the, of the ex-boyfriend. But... Mm. Um, um, but yeah, um, that line in there where it says, uh, the last line of the chorus, we're weak in a fight that makes the world weak at the knees. That's actually talking about the whole gay rights struggle, you know, the fight right. that makes the world weak at the knees. It makes, you know, you know, it makes people clutch their pearls and <laughs> drop to their knees and so forth. And as, as, as anyone, as anyone would know. So that's, yeah. that's a sort of little slight reference, but there is another wonderful story. I mean, there's a fabulous New Zealand artist called Bick Runga and uh she had a, an amazing debut album and she's still around but she had an absolute smash hit album in the 90s and, and one of her big hits was she said she wrote that backstage from concrete and at the time i remember hearing that and going no you couldn't have and you couldn't have but it's true you can literally write a song in like 40 minutes mm. <laughs> and sometimes it's your best work other times you can labor over something for for months and it's terrible um, I must have written by now between 150 and 180 songs or something. I, I can't remember. Mm. And whenever I have written a song and I, I record a demo and then I sort of go back and listen to it a little bit later, if I still like it, I, I then put the lyrics into this document that I've got. So mm. I've got all my stuff written down. It's, it's, it's about 250 pages now. Um, <laughs> the lyrics are just as important to me. And I, I'd, I'd, one day I'd like to actually release just a book of, of the lyrics and poetry. I'm actually working on a, a collection of short stories at the moment. Um, mm. So I'm doing other stuff as well. Like I don't just do music. And I paint as well. So, you know, like I've got all these creative outlets and, and, and so forth. So I really don't know. Maybe one mm. day one of them is going to take off. Maybe they'll all sort of slowly gather steam. But you also don't want to be a one-hit wonder. Mm. Um, and, you know, you look at some artists and they have like a smash hit and then disappear forever. But then you look at other artists and they struggled and struggled and then they slowly, slowly built. And now they've got that solid following. And mm. so if that's the way I'm going to go, then I'm happy with that too. I think uh, we should get hot and naked now, uh, Brad Wolf. Uh, gay sex <laughs> anthem I've written down here. <laughs> um, what's your what's your angle on that? Well, I wrote I wrote that song. Uh, gosh, 2009, 2010. Melbourne and Australia was having a heat wave. It was the most incredible summer. It was so hot, and I remember sitting there and just wanting to write. And the original song was built around an everything but the girls sample, actually. Um, and I wrote the song and um, sort of put it away and uh, hadn't really v revisited it. At, I mean, I, you know, actually, fun funny enough, 
before I got signed, before I was on Spotify and iTunes and all the official sort of avenues, I um, used to put stuff on whatever avenue I could. And I think I must have put that on YouTube or something. Anyway, I was out and about it. And it was when I was a little bit younger, you know, eight, nine years ago, and I was clubbing a lot more. And I was out in some bar and somebody said, oh, I heard your song the other day. And at the time, it was I hadn't really anything released, and I was sort of but I had done a few radio interviews for stuff I was in, and I said, oh, "Okay, well, I, which one is it?" And I, I thought, "Well, maybe it was Oil and Water, acoustic instrumental, or something like that." And he and he's like, "No, no, I heard um, Hot Naked, and I was in a sex club." Oh my god! <laughs> so, <laughs> so somebody had wow. actually gotten hold of the hot, the original Hot Naked demo, which isn't too far removed from what was actually released. They'd heard it while they were in a sex club. It's so hot. I can't take it It's so hot I gotta get naked You're so hot I can't take it You're so hot Do you wanna get naked? Feel my body moving to you Feel my eyes from out of the blue Feel my body I'm feeling safe my producer and he said oh this is fantastic let's do it and it was in the middle of summer just gone mm. and um uh and I, I did the song but at the same time i was also in the middle of recording my next album and as, as you know from hearing my next album it's a it's a more of a spiritual affair and then mm. so i was like well hot naked doesn't really fit in there <laughs> and i didn't know what to do with it but i had all these remixes as you mentioned floating around and so i decided to to do a sort of you know madonna you can dance remix album and decided uh-huh. i'd put an, an album together for all my remixes and hot naked would be the the single and the first track on that so that's it found a home in the end, which was oh, good. Oh, that's so. excellent. You're listening to Brad Wolf on SNS Online. Now, where's that TV remote? And now on ABC Melbourne, Brad Wolf heads that mysterious team from the alternative Time Legion's Alien Sentinel. Codename Atlas. Um, I've got one here, Atlas. Um, I've written here, it sounds like a theme tune. Rock the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Now, it, it did strike me that there's a lot of good instrumental stuff um, in your music, as well as obviously the lyrics and all the rest of it. Have you ever thought of doing movie music or, you know, adverts, that sort of thing? I mean, it could be quite, um, quite a money um, spinner yeah. without selling out, of course. <laughs> No, well, no, I don't mind selling out of it. Pays off my student <laughs> loan. <laughs> uh, no, um, I, I have thought about it. To be honest, it really is just a time thing. It's just I've, I've got so many stories and so many songs I'm trying to tell mm. that it really. It's I have sort of in the back of my mind thought, oh, I'd love to do this and I'd love to do that. So look, honestly, if it came, if the right opportunity came along, yeah, absolutely. But um, and maybe it will uh, soon. But yeah, no, I mean, Atlas was actually a song that I almost considered as a single for the next album. Um, to the point that I ha- I still have all the master files sitting here, thinking I would like to find someone to remix it but um yeah no i i i wouldn't say no of course not next time on atlas this time quake's registering 90.5 rails on the bocker scale it's gonna rip apart all parallel realities and 
It's heading our way. And Brad's still trapped in there. So, it was you that stole Sentinel's equipment and powered up the android duplicate. Yes, and no one will ever find out. My teleport pack's drained, and we've only got five minutes to save the world. Time for a cup of tea, then. Hi, I'm Brad, Brad Wolf, and I'm here to save the world. When I'm cold and alone I look at pictures on my phone And I see your smile And I see your face And I wanna know Do you feel the same way? Okay, this track I really, really liked. Dear Lover. It's a collaboration with um, Pally, Pally. A very proficient track. I loved it. How did you get together with this uh, guy? He was just he was just um, around in the studio. Um, he was doing his own stuff, and I, I wrote. I still love Dear Lover. Um, I, I personally love. It. I think it's one of my my personal favourites. And it kind of, I'm glad you mentioned it because it's really slipped under the radar. A lot of people haven't really ever mentioned it, but it's mm. always been one of my favourites. Because um, it's it's very funny. I don't often write love songs. It's more heartache and stuff, but it's a love song. Um, you miserable and... bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, yeah, well. Wait, wait, wait for Spectrophilia. Uh, um, but no, um, and he was in the studio and, and he wanted to sort of feature on tracks and he was a young rapper and um, yeah, he's, I, he's he's not falling off the radar. I'm sure he's doing his own stuff a bit, mm. but he, he doesn't work around the studios I, as, that I do anymore. But at the time I said, yeah, this is my song. Do you want to, you know, and he, and he freestyled that. That was his little rap bridge is completely freestyle. He had no, he had no lyrics. He just completely went in there and did that off the cusp so I and I love that even more so and it gives me a bit of street cred <laughs> I feel like I'm almost a bit like Madonna you know leeching on to all these young kids these days but no like, um, <laughs> but it does really work in a strange kind of way because I wrote that song literally um, obviously it's a, it's a riff on you know um, there's a hole in my bucket dear Eliza dear Eliza that's sort of where I where it came from and I <laughs> turned it around to there's a, there's a hole in my heart dear lover dear lover there's a hole in my heart dear Can you fill up my heart like no other? There's a hole in my heart, dear lover There's a place I can find All the things I left behind Here's a heart full of song Enough to survive Can a melodic spirit sustain a whole life? And can people be trusted? To listen to her Can a lifetime of heartache Become your life's work There's a heart 
and The Fall are two separate albums, but you consider them two parts of a whole. Uh, explain a little bit about them. Well, <laughs> what happened was um, when we'd finished The Rise and I was working down here in um, Melbourne as I was doing closed captions and subtitles for The Hearing Impaired for, for various TV networks, including the BBC. BBC outsources to Australia. Yeah, because um, of the, obviously the time difference. So when everyone in the UK is asleep, you've often got Australian uh, closed captioners working on the, the news and so forth. But um, I was doing that and I got poached for a rival network um, and I just finished recording The Rise and I got moved up to Sydney and it was only supposed to be for six weeks. Um, but they were paying my rent and they were giving us this wonderful allowance and I ended up 
uh, the contracts sort of blew out as they often tend to do. And I ended up living in Sydney for six months, which was absolutely wonderful. And I almost considered staying, but I came back to Melbourne for my music. But um, because of that, it meant that the Rise release was delayed by a long time. But it also gave me a chance to keep writing. And so I actually ended up writing all of the songs on the – well, most of the songs on the fall uh, while waiting to come back to Melbourne and release The Rise. So when as soon as I released The Rise, I mean, The Fall was almost finished. And the same sort of thing goes now. I've actually got the fourth album underway as, as the Spectrophilia oh, album. Oh, right. So that often, I'm often usually an album in advance, which is mm. probably good. And so when I came back to Melbourne, I released The Rise. Uh, we went into the studio and, and I'd written all of The Fall. But it actually wasn't called The Fall. It was called Dark Star, which is the final track. You got too many secrets, too many gone, and too many bridges burned and alone. Well, leading to nowhere, where do you run? And where do you find the salvation you want? Dark Star. And then um, David Bowie released Black Star and yes. Up and Died. Which was awful, and because I absolutely love him, and um, I remember the, the the day that he died, I went and came home and watched Labyrinth, danced around, and got drunk and lit a candle for him, and mm. had a few little tears, which I don't often do um, oh. for famous people, but he was he was absolutely wonderful, and um, a legend in our time. Totally. But then I, but when when I was doing that, I thought, well, I can't call this Dark Star because I get people comparing me to Bowie a lot anyway, and I thought people are going to think I'm being far too derivative. Or as, as Madonna said to Lady Gaga, reductive. Uh, <laughs> it's nice and yeah. sort of reflective, like, almost like a George Michael album. It made a nice contrast. It, yeah. made a, it, made a, it was a bookend, and they, they tell a story. Thematically, um, The Rise was was songs that I'd written when I was doing a lot of live performance and, and getting stuff on the radio. And, and I've had all the songs on Infamy, which was the singles collection that came out last year. They were all songs that have been played on the radio. And so The Rise, they, they, they all got really good airplay. Um, and Walking Out got played on, on Channel 7 here, which is one of the big networks, which is really exciting. Um, and the royalties were quite nice. <laughs> song on the fall called my own worst enemy and that really talks about my foibles very openly there's a line in there um just when i think i'm on my feet again um sirens start ringing in my head and um the choruses um because the one thing that i never learn is that i'm my own worst enemy and it was really a case of when i was writing the fall and recording it going through quite a lot of difficult stuff personally that i needed to confront my own bad habits and and my own my own burning of bridges and my own um you know just you know stupid things that we all do as, as we grow and we learn it 
comes, watch me now Put my foot in my mouth again And I'm sure no one has this skill like me Here we go, here we go Spinning round and round till I fall again I can't fly straight and narrow with a broken wing Wing, wing But it did become a story, and the rise was it was the rise was a very heady experience. It was my first album, and it was it was a great release party, and and I did a lot of live songs that night, and then sort of fell into this this I don't know this this mix of uh, almost bipolar, and I don't I don't mean that in an offensive way of of you know feeling completely arrogant and confident and superb, and then having completely low points and and going through terrible things and completely changing my life. But would you say um, that's quite a that's a sort of a thing that happens to musicians as well? You know, one's worth their salt. They have to go through a lot of crap to write um, the good stuff. And you know, we don't want you to be too happy because your music might suffer. No, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well, well, but it's true. It is very true. And some of the some of the best albums can come out of some of the worst times. And mm. I mean, I, I remember the the same ex boyfriend that I wrote about. I wrote Oil and Water about. I remember him saying to me, you know, you shouldn't treat music like therapy. <laughs> and I, I sort of vaguely agree with that. But at the same same time i think any creative output is therapy in a way for the creator i mean obviously we're not trying to subject our misery onto anyone else but <laughs> but at the same time it's an it's inevitably a cathartic experience and totally. process writing mm. um and and the other thing is um you, we can't subtract or, or or separate our experience from what we write so you know it, it's inevitable that it's going to be a therapeutic thing for us and that, that if people are going to hear it they're going to hear our um our darkest days <laughs> really you know what let's counteract that with uh, another one of my faves um which is just lovely and and soppy and romantic grow old with me is it like the letting of old love or a signature of blood what does it take to make you mine is it like the rapture or the flood is it strong enough to stand the ever-burning test of time perhaps I could accept the status quo and feel the pain and let you go or you could Be kind enough to see 
Remember writing Grow Old With Me, I was um, oh, desperately in love with this straight guy. <laughs> oh, we've all and been was, there. Oh, God, look, I still go there. Not, not the same but guy, I was, hopefully uh, not. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, um, but I, I remember um, walking home from, from seeing this guy and being out for drinks with him, and he's terribly straight, absolutely gorgeous, lovely guy. And we're, look, we're still friends. And um, I wrote, uh, I had in my head, you know, Grow Old With Me um, as just, you know, a soppy half drunken romantic idea and i went home and wrote the song and um as i said to you before when i put together an album i try and tell a story and and so every the order of my albums is very very deliberate it's not just chucking together or anything like that except for infamy which was the release order but that was my greatest hits without any hits but with grow up with me i put that on the on the (laughs) i put grow up with me as the first track on on the rise and and maybe because of that it's one of the ones that people seem to have heard the most but um yeah, it's 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 saccharine. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's almost too sweet for me. But no, it's uh, it was about a straight guy that I was in love with, unfortunately. But um, so yeah, he's never going to grow old with me. But um, I like to think that um, anyone yeah. that, anyone that's in love with anyone, um, whether they're with them or not, it's it's a, it's just a pure love song. It really is. So. I mean, what I was going to say is, why didn't you write a sequel called Rohit and the Blunt Instruments? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, and then we changed the lyrics to Hot Naked. No, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. And you could grow. Old with me by today's special guest, Brad Wolf. And there'll be more from Brad in just a minute after a very important SNS announcement. SNSonlineshow.com, your brand new one stop shop for all things SNS. Take a tour through our wide and diverse collection of shows and listen in to our exclusive range of in depth interviews spanning the popular arts, featuring actors, writers, journalists, stand up comedians, musicians, and more. You can also enjoy our shorter bite-sized series covering vibrant new theatre, television and book releases. And with our Arts Lifestyle Remit, you get to explore issue-based topics including health, mental health, women's rights around the world and LGBTQ. Contact us with both your comments and suggestions for future guests. And don't forget to read up on our blog, regularly updated with articles and photographs. A forum where everyone is welcome to contribute. SNSonlineshow.com, your one-stop shop 
for all things SNS. And that address again, it couldn't be simpler, snsonlineshow.com. Far out, a baby. Tough Love, I've highlighted here, could be a great Eurovision song. Probably, I would actually say it's. Oh, I don't know whether you would agree, but I would think it's probably my most pop song. It's it's really not that deep when you hear it. It actually is extremely deep, though. Now, <laughs> how it came about was um, when I was growing up, my my father was very very strict um, and not particularly emotional, and um, his method of, of parenting was tough love. You know, like it doesn't hurt you, won't you know what doesn't what doesn't kill you, you know, makes yeah, you stronger yeah. and all. Stuff and now I'm look I'm I'm that's that's certainly had its influence on me. Now I don't particularly agree with it, but it was mm. something that was always in the back of my mind. And I decided, but I found it quite a, a negative thing and negative memory. And so I decided to make something positive out of it and turn it into a pop song. Mm. And that was literally my motivation for doing that song. And so I walked into the studio and it was one of the, again it was one of those songs I actually hadn't really done myself. I just walked in and said, right, I want to do a dance pop song and let's do it. And we we started from scratch. So it was fifty fifty me and my producer Sam. So um, uh, and I actually ended up getting tough love tattoo on my arm and we did that that wonderful video which i still love of me with the boxing gloves on yeah it probably is one of my most played songs on radio too that song actually yeah awesome not the, awesome yeah and of course you guys can come enter the eurovision song contest now so just bear it in mind brad wolf <laughs> oh god i yeah i know When I now look back on The Rise and the Fall, which I'm still proud of, they're quite long. <laughs> you know, they're, they're long albums. And now I'm doing Spectrophilia. I've, I've kept the limit at 10 tracks, and that's mm. all I'm doing for it. So it's, I'm trying to keep it much more compact. And I think quite mm. often in uh, early days of a career, we had uh, uh, the artist Minute Taker on Ben McGarvey, and he uh, said that he wrote some early albums, which was like 25 tracks, which I was mm. seizing him about, and he, he implied that they'd all been burnt in the fire, so I'm sure he's hiding them somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, uh, no, no, I absolutely, I, I love, by the way, I love Minute Taker, and he's absolutely wonderful. Um, oh, but um, I actually, I think I mentioned to you before, I've written so many songs and I had, um, I've actually started, one of the things I've been doing recently is I'm playing for other people now. So I'm playing for other singers, just music, just I'm playing guitar in the background for their gigs. Yeah. And so that, and that, that actually came back accidentally. I had a a young, young kid called Jedekai who's just coming out and he's he's the most amazing singer. He's got this beautiful voice and he's releasing his own original music. And his first single is actually an Aretha Franklin cover. And he's so soulful and wonderful um, that it just sounds stunning. 
so I'm playing guitar for him now, and just at his gigs, um, which is actually great for me. I really like being in the background. <laughs> it, it, it's probably a cure for my ego in some ways. It just, I'm just, I'm just a musician. It's really not about me. <laughs> and, yeah. and and also, it's got, it's, I mean, just to be clear, because you you do seem to do various jobs, um, but you're also a yes. musician. I mean, have you reached a point where you're making enough money as a musician to? to make that full-time or is it still it's, it's uh, still... no look look I, I think it's extremely hard to make mm. full-time income as a musician oh, yeah absolutely days. i mean even the most like even some of the big names have second jobs <laughs> and, like you know they really do i mean and, and and look and that's fine that's absolutely fine and, and look i have this like philosophy like I, I i would love to i would absolutely love to make a living out of it but at the same time a lot of the stories that i tell and, and try to tell anyway are stories about just average living that everyone lives and, and not everyone everyone struggles everyone has their mm. jobs and their bills and their mortgages and their student loans and their relationships and their breakups and all that kind of stuff and i often sort of worry that if i ever got any kind of success um that you know where would those stories come from you know if, I, if i'm sitting eating caviar and, and doing cocaine off a hooker's back every <laughs> night I, I mean and, and getting everything i want then, then am i going to write a song like oil and water no but, but you'll me? burn no, you'll burn out then you'll go to rehab and then you can write even better <laughs> stuff and, and that, well, I'm already burnt, I've already burnt out, so I've got that one. Oh, <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, everybody has to make their money. I mean, Madonna cleans the toilets out the BBC most weekends. You know, just just yeah. to, to you know, she's having an extension built on a patio or something like that. So, oh, bless uh, okay. Yeah. I I heard that she worked for um Yvette Fielding, like tapping on the walls on Most Haunted. But you know, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> You're stupid. You don't even have a Princess Vosahine's surname. When it comes to the final, I want to be up against you. So that you get disintegrated and I get a stack load of credits. Courtesy of the Bad Wolf Corporation. What do you mean? Who's Bad Wolf? They're in charge. Why are they called Bad Wolf? I don't know. It's just a name. It's like an old earth nursery rhyme sort of thing. What does it matter? I keep hearing those words everywhere we go. Bad Wolf. Can I just ask you, because you did sort of dro drop quite something big earlier and we don't have to put it in the interview and we don't, you don't have to talk about it now. Did you, did you mention you had a spell at rehab? No, no. Oh, no, oh gosh, did no. I get that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no I, I haven't. That's I probably have needed. That's hilarious. I probably have needed to at times, don't worry. But no. I oh, well, if you, look, well, to be completely, I will be completely open. I mean, I have done my time with taking a lot of drugs and drinking and a heck of a lot. And, you know, the funny thing was, I was never, I was always a, in New Zealand. And you, but I'm, I'm happy for you to put this out there. Um, I, <laughs> Haven't we I, all, I, Ducky? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried a lot of stuff. And, and in New Zealand, marijuana is very popular. Mm. And so I, I became a pothead pretty quickly when in my university days um and don't anymore um it just i think the older you get i think the harder it is to recover from it unfortunately <laughs> yes but, i've um, heard that uh, apparently oh and so i don't i don't do that anymore i really don't um mm. but i um it was funny i wasn't ever a big drinker and our father my father had actually banned um our father mm. who are in heaven <laughs> <laughs> oh my, God. My, There's another song. Banned, my my father my grandfather my father's father 
was a bit of an alcoholic and he wasn't a, wasn't a pleasant one. And um, my father had banned alcohol in our house growing up. And so we didn't have it. And so it wasn't really something that was around. And so even uh, in my early 20s, even, I was never a drinker. I would be, a, I was a puker. I'd have a couple <laughs> of drinks and wasn't very pleasant the next day. Um, and it was really like there's this idea of Australians being massive drinkers. And um, they are, they really are. Mm. Um, you know, like, and I, ever since coming over here, I've become a very big drinker. And, and probably I went through a stage, I think I mentioned a few years back about the meaning of the rise and the fall. Um, I, yeah, I became a massive drinker, too much so. Um, and I was drinking far too much. And my doctor told me, you need to stop. It's ridiculous. Um, you know. Um, and, I, and look, it wasn't ever a problem. It was never something I had to go to rehab for or anything like that. But people are, people are big drinkers over here. But I've never I've never been to rehab, and so and now I now I I work so much and I'm doing so many different things that yeah, I, got I time. I just well, I don't have the time to recover. Because yeah, the that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. The recovery. I've got time. I could do it while I work. I'm probably. <laughs> it's just the next day. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that lots of times. The things you've seen. The darkness. The big bad wolf. Attention all personnel. Bad wolf one descending. Everywhere we go, two words following us. Bad wolf. Uh, just, well, I'm just thinking about it. We got to know each other via social media because of our mutual love of Doctor Who. <laughs> Now, yes. it occurred to me, when I first saw saw your post, I thought, well, Brad Wolf, Bad Wolf, that's where it's come from. And did it? <laughs> Look, it did. I mean, it really did. <laughs> well, when I, well, I, my, my real name is uh, Schmidt, like my German background. And, but, you know, Brad Schmidt 
just didn't have that same ring to it creatively. Oh, I like that um, Schmidt. That's quite cool. Actually. Oh well, yeah. I mean, and I just and I'd I'd, I'd sort of taken on the Wolf moniker uh, well before I even started doing the music. So and then that just sort of took over. I actually when I started doing music, I was releasing it under the one word Big Brave Wolf. Mm. Then when I got signed, I had to have like a well, I didn't have to, but I decided to just go with the Brad Wolf thing. And mm. So it was either a case of I choose uh, Wolf with two O's, as in Virginia, mm-hmm. or I choose Wolf with an E, um, as in Tom Wolf. Mm. Um, now Tom Wolf is is my preferred writer out of those two. I really love mm-hmm. Tom Wolf's books, and so I went with, with Wolf with an E. And I couldn't, oh yeah, so I couldn't do Wolf just by itself, as in W O L F, because there was already a, a Brad Wolf. Um, now and he's a country singer. Right. In, uh, in Tennessee. Can't cheat in a small town. The truth will beat you home before the sun goes down. And, and that was fine. And, and I thought, well, I'll go with the E out of respect for him because he was, he was here first. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether he changed his name or something. But then when I registered on Spotify, his music kept coming up under my name. <laughs> and so I, I had a guy on in a local radio station who was like, I'm going to do like a feature on you. And I've chosen these four songs of yours. And it was, it was something like, you know, Oil and Water and Dangerous and Grow Old With Me. And then there was this other complete song like, you know, I, I plucked a chicken and took a bus to Nashville or something like, you know, <laughs> it was completely like, and I was just like, what? That's not mine. <laughs> and I sort of and he sent me a screen grab, and so I actually had to get in touch with Spotify and iTunes and say, "Look, uh, you need to d- detach or disassociate this guy's music from mine because, as much as you know, he's doing his thing. I I didn't release an album called Bus Ride to Nashville, That's but so if you ever hear this, hi, hi Brad Wolf. So there's a couple of me out there apparently. So one day maybe <laughs> we ever get famous, we could do a duet. With Nick Randall, but I love the Doctor Who reference. It's it's um because it was it was I mean we were all so excited about that series and Bad Wolf was such a sort of a it was just such a wondrous glorious end to the season. So um, yeah, I had my appendix taken out on the night of the parting of the ways when um, Chris parting of the ways very appropriate. (laughs) <laughs> the parting of my abdomen. Yeah. Um, no, so, <laughs> but I remember at the time I was I was li- I literally in, in agony, and I demanded my my boyfriend at the time download and bring in the episode in hospital <laughs> so I could watch it. What have you done? I looked into the TARDIS, and the TARDIS looked into me. You looked into the time vortex, Rose. No one's meant to see that. So those poor people outside of me in the, in the hospital beds. But um, no, but Doctor Who's always been a thing for me. And I actually used to I used to write lots of reviews, articles, and short stories for Time Space Visualizer, which was oh, the yes. New Zealand Doctor Who mm-hmm. fan club magazine. And I went on to review stuff for various uh, magazines and press. And um, uh, wonderful Paul Mars, who you know is the Doctor Who novelist and yes, writer, of course. does work for Big Finish. Um, he actually he was my sort of he became a hero of mine because he actually thanked me in one of his novels in the foreword in about uh, 2001, mm-hmm. it was, and because I'd reviewed his first novel, which was The Scarlet Empress. Okay. And um, so I kept, I've always had that sort of thing with with Doctor Who and kept writing it and, and kept in touch. And I recently had a short story published in um, the latest Iris Wildtime anthology ah. out from 
of those books. He backed on this intergalactic barky. <laughs> so I, I still write prose. I'm still writing prose a lot. And so um, Stuart Sheargold is, was the editor of that. And he is a wonderful writer. He's just released a novel, which is a little shout out. It's called The World of Lies and get it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's an absolutely wonderful writer. And he used to write for Big Finish. And he's sort of done his Doctor Who stuff as well. And um, funny enough, the reason I'm bringing him up particularly mm. um, is that what I'm doing for my next album, which is called Spectrophilia. Now, Spectrophilia uh, means lover of ghosts. And as far as I know, no one else has released an album like that in history before. But um, thematically, I'll, I'll come to that explanation later. But what I'm doing for the album is it's a shorter album. It's only 10 tracks. And I've kept Stuart in the dark about what my songs are actually about. And as I've sent to you, I sent him the album as it is now, which is 95% done. And he's going to be writing a very, very, very short story for each of the songs based on oh, what he interprets them. That's lovely. So when the, yeah, so when the CD comes out, it's going to have a, a booklet with a short story for each song mm. in it based on what he interprets it to be. And then we're talking very short, you know, 500 words or so. Mm. Um, so short, short, almost like a, a prose poem. Um, but I, I've deliberately tried to not explain to him what the songs are about, and I'm really interested to see what he comes up with. That is so. such an interesting idea, and it sort of really takes the concept album several stages further and uh, the whole theatricality of it and but it's it's a real event not just like oh whack this on and hear a few songs and yeah, well, uh, well, as I've already mentioned, I, I love the idea of albums as a concept. Mm. And, and when you do write songs, you do tend to write them as a thematic batch. Um, but also, to um, there is that thing I was talking about before, if you want to release a CD, which I always do. I, I still um, release a CD all my songs as well as release it digitally. And so this one is going to have a, a, a multi-page booklet. And I'm still deciding what to do with the photography because I haven't decided on the cover or anything. I've got a few ideas. But I was thinking about also doing then waiting for, to get the, the pros from Stuart and then doing a matching photo for each one. Um, and so then whoever gets the CD as well um, will have a little mini book in there as well. And I, I certainly have always approached and listened to albums as well as um, I call them sonic autobiographies. Oh, I like uh, that. Yeah, that's how I approach an album. I'm writing a an autobiography of myself and my experiences that I've been through, and and each song tells a, is a chapter of that. I just woke up from the most vivid dream. I was dating the Axeman of New Orleans. Had the bluest eyes I'd ever seen, but nothing about him scared me. Pink at morning. Shepherds warming to the flame burn again. It's it's a very dark album. The first song I wrote on it was um about the Axeman of New Orleans. Now the Axeman of New Orleans, it was around about I think it was the nineteen tens or the nineteen twenties and um uh, I love I love documentaries and I especially love true crime documentaries. So you know all the, all the wonderful stuff that comes on Netflix now, I sort of devour it. But I had watched this documentary on the Axeman of New Orleans, and now so back in the 1910s or the 1920s, something like that, there was a spate of killings and people had been their heads were bashed in by this killer with an axe. Uh, and back then, obviously, doors weren't locked and so forth. And and for a while, nobody knew who it was. It was an early sort of serial killing spate and then he started writing to the press and the police and, and saying that um on this certain night let's just say it's september the 12th or something like that um if the whole city of new orleans has to have a party and employ all the jazz musicians in the city or i will kill again 
And everyone was terrified. Everyone was living in fear of this, this killer. And so everybody that night hired all the jazz musicians in the city and had a party. And he never killed again. And no one ever knew, ever found out who it was. And, and presumably these days an FBI profiler might turn around and say, well, clearly he was an out-of-work jazz musician. <laughs> you know, that's why, you know. I love but it. We, we will never know. But he did write to the papers. And I actually use his letter in the bridge of the song. Those are his words, not mine. And or her words maybe who knows um i'm picturing like maybe a kathy bates style killer but um but i I'd, I'd gone to sleep watching the documentary and i had this dream that i was dating the axe man of new orleans and i was working at the time for for one of the channels here working doing the captions and i had to get up at like 5 a.m and go to work and i come out and the sky was beautifully pink and my grandmother my grandmother used to say to me you know uh, pink sky at night, shepherd's delight, pink sky at morning, shepherd's warning about the weather. And I'd woken up from this dream that I was dating the axe man of New Orleans and he was going off to kill my mother. <laughs> and I was not worried about that, but I thought I'd, I, I thought I'd better call the police because, you know, he's the axe man of New Orleans and I finally found him. He killed my mother and stole my friend. I didn't know where this would end, but he never laid a hand on me. there i ended up just kept writing i went into this bizarre like just absolute it was like a oh, that sounds a bit extreme but it was like a position i just became really possessed by all these stories and and so i ended up writing and and at the time unfortunately a very close friend of mine got diagnosed with cancer uh and uh he was dying which is what the second track in the first single hunters of dreams is about he's been treated for it so i'm hoping he's, he's going to get better but that's what the, the first single of that album is spectrophilia and the second track on the album is called hunters of dreams uh and that's who it's about out in the ether Looking down from heaven above And satellites spinning, flying off The miles between us Fade with the memories of what once was These planets and stars and all of us The things that we love we leave behind For someone else on earth to find Nothing we love can ever stain What once was here of 
Dreams, I found that quite epic and filmic. Again, there's that um, big theatrical theme that I get with your work. Uh, Jesus on the gay scene felt very George Michael inspired, to be honest. Sacrifice myself for you to live a lie And I'm not gonna be the one to bear the cross for all your crimes And I'm not gonna be the one who forgives you for every time I'm not gonna be Jesus on the gay scene And I'm not gonna be the one to take the fall when you're who pushed And I'm not gonna walk on water just to drown in your bad books I'm never gonna take for granted all the truth that you have claimed I'm never gonna be your Jesus whether I am straight or gay Jesus on the gay scene is really about um, how as in the gay scene we tear each other apart um, within ourselves. We are a, supposed to be a community and we're supposed to sort of be united against, you know, conservatives and homophobes and far-right idiots and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But then within our own community, we also tear each other apart and we don't support each other. Um, you know, um, without going into detail because I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> um, and look, the, the, the lyrics will do that just fine. Um, but <laughs> I'm not going to please my speech because you think that you are right. Within this fight, I'm not gonna take a partner just to share him with the world. I'm gonna be an honest man and not become a girl. I'm not gonna wear a dress to fit how they think I should be. I'm not gonna buy the lie that men like me should be pretty. And I'm not gonna strap on leather just to play into a myth. Cause you liked it, don't have to be a bear or be a Fight each other now Become the people 
but it's really it's it's really about how as a community we we need to both respect our differences and also support our differences um and you know there are a few lyrics in there which might bite and might offend people um but the chorus is meant to be my mea culpa and me sort of saying look you know because myself as a gay man I'm, I'm i'm not really into drag and i i don't really like the nightclub scene um and there are a lot of gay people out there that really want to you know be as provocative and out there as possible and they didn't believe in an equal marriage you know they didn't want it because they thought well why would we want to be heteronormative and why would we want to aspire to be that and so there is that sort of elements of the gay community that, that wants to remain separated and then you have that element of the gay community that wants to actually um be assimilated you know wants to actually just be a man and and being gay is just very secondary to who they are as a person or a woman mm. um and i guess that's what i am as a gay man is that i'm openly gay but I'm, i don't you know really fall into a lot of the usual categories mm. of being gay and and look maybe that's maybe that's a lot of my own internal homophobia maybe i know i've got a little bit of it it's, it comes from my upbringing in the conservative sporty family um and you know i'm dealing with it in my own way but sure. at the same time i also in my free time my idea of fun is not a dance party mm. uh it's not drag um it's not taking drugs it's certainly not leather all that kind of stuff mm. and i've come a long way to learn to respect that that's other people's things okay that's well that's um, good yeah, because because for a lot of time I, I because I didn't like it, I was very arrogant and stubborn sure. and thought you know, like that 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 I would a- attack that and I thought it was <laughs> terrible. So I, I've come a long way too to learn that that, that just because I don't like something, uh, my well, my latest philosophy in life, to be honest, I know it sounds so simple, but really, if if I don't have anything nice to say about someone, don't say, say anything. <laughs> The one I'd like to play is Shooting Star, because I love it. Maybe I should stay home tonight It's a long way to walk But I love to hear the sound of your laughter It doesn't seem so dark Should I have read my stars last night? Will I light up the room? I hope I said goodbye to you I'm on my way, I'll be home soon I'm a shooting star, it won't burn up Hold my seat and fill my cup The grass is greener on this side All the same colour so Shooting Star, uh, I wrote Shooting Star. It was one of those songs coming to the studio. Um, the news had just broken. There was a young woman. She was a comedian called Eurydice Dixon, um, and she had been murdered on the way home. She she was a young. She was only like 21, um, 20, 21, and she'd been out that night performing at a local comedy club. And she was walking home. And she was raped and strangled and killed. And uh, unfortunately, she wasn't the first woman in Melbourne who who suffered that fate. There was another woman called Jill Ma, and it was just it was so disheartening and dreadful. And you know, violence against women is is a huge problem anywhere, but it's it's been a particular problem in Australia. And we were both very moved by it, my producer and I. And so we sat down and we wrote Shooting Star, and it's about it's about Eurydice Dixon. And um, it was never gonna it was actually not going to be a track that I particularly was going to use to promote the album. Of course, obviously, I don't want to 
you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not, it's a tribute to us and I'm not capitalizing on that at all, but, mm. uh, but, um, people so far, you and, and a couple of other people who have heard the full album are like, oh, that track is a standout. And so it's very much a tribute to her. Um, so when you listen to the lyrics, it's really from her perspective about walking home at night. And then the bridge talks about, it has a play on the whole Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, but we, I turn around to be Jill be nimble, Jill be quick. It's just it's just a really it's a tribute to her so that she's remembered the whole album is a tribute to to a lot of lost people as we'll go into but um That's yeah lovely. but that song is a tribute to her leading on from that track obviously the final track on your new album it gets better uh, yes. It was quite clear when I was listening to it, I thought, there's a list of these names, and I thought, well, he's, you know, he's a gay artist, and it just occurred to me it was about the Pulse nightclub, and you confirmed it. All these teenage martyrs who are dying for their cause, the terror of denying us our freedom, a people torn apart by your false claims to have a heart. My God would make the plane feel even And the father puts his son out on the street For having fun cause of a lie He sometimes finds he don't believe in And a mother cries at night Because your hate put out her light And hating us is nowhere near to see in I grew up with a hate for me I grew up with a dream to cling to And come hell or high water That dream will come to be You can't learn lessons in the game If everything should stay the same And your God put us here for some Seasons, and when our youth have only drugs. 
words instead of unconditional love There's nothing you can say that deserves eating And under one true global love Whether anyone's above Quality's a lesson worth receiving I grew up with the names like you did And I grew up with a hate for me Again, on the same at the same time, I wrote Jesus on the Gay Scene. Funny enough, it was the same concept album in 2010. Mm. So it was an old song that I resurrected, but it was one that again sort of had just slipped under the radar. So it's about my journey as a gay man, as as you probably heard. Um, you know, growing up in a small town and being bullied and, and ridiculed and all that kind of stuff. And um, but I'd kind of been listening to Vogue, where she does the whole rap, you know, Greta Garbo and Monroe and all that kind of stuff. It sounds horrible to say jokingly because it's such a serious topic, but I said, why don't we do like a, a Vogue kind of style bridge, but instead of, you know, famous people, I talk about people that have died from being gay, you know, who haven't made it, who have, who have been murdered for being gay or have taken their own lives. And mm. and the producer really liked that. And so I went out and did some research and I, I ended up going down this rabbit hole and, and finding all the names of the Pulse nightclub victims mm. and just it, just everybody who, you know, a lot of, um, I went online and I just Googled and Googled and Googled mm. and everyone, from, like lots of people from around the world, um, activists, just general people who had been, you know, yes. gay bashed in the street. And ended up with this massive list of names. But uh, what we decided to do, my original idea was just to have every name sort of slowly starting, but then ending up with a blizzard of names overlapping. So just, you know, so to keep the track at a reasonable length. But then as we were working, we really realized, look, no, why should we do that? Let's give every name the time it deserves. Anthony Avalos. Jamel Miles. Jeffrey Allen Trail. Raymond Kane. Scott Johnson, Richard Johnson, Ross Warren, John Russell. Kenneth Crowe, George Brinham, Christopher Schliak. I don't think I've ever cried as much in my life. Um, I, we, I bawled and bawled and bawled recording and working on that track. Um, and what we did was we took all the names and I had this list of names and it was huge. And I, because of the wonder of social media these days, I contacted people all around the world. Um, so, you know, you've got voices in there from Brazil, South Africa, um, Taiwan, England, America. And I got, I sent them all a list of names and I, and, and here in, in Australia as well, I got people to do it and, and I'm in there as well. The title, It Gets Better, comes from the It Gets Better movement that came around about 10 years ago where, okay. you know, which was all about giving students and young gay people something to look to to not kill themselves and not, not harm themselves, you know, to, that it will get better. Don't worry. Hang in there. And that's a, that's a really hard thing to see and, and to look at when you're when you're young. And, and I know that. I mean, I was bullied terribly in high school for being because I was out at high school in a very small town in, wow. in Redneck, New Zealand. So, um 
and I, you know, got, got even my own family had an intervention and told me that I could choose to be straight if I wanted to. So I know what it was like, and and I, I went through that hell as well. Um, and it can seem so hard, and and so the song itself is only called "It Gets Better" for that reason. It doesn't actually; those aren't part of the lyrics. But the song is about my journey, and then at the end of it, we take about eight minutes, and then what I did was I took all these voices from all around the world, male, female, gay, straight, lesbian, and um, yeah, that's those are the, all the names, and there are people that have either been murdered or or killed themselves or died in, in the pursuit of gay and lesbian rights. And it's very, very hard to listen to, but it's very important to listen to. And I really wanted just basically to make sure that, you know, those people's names will live on um, as long as possible, as long as that song's around. Ian Bainham, John Light, Nick Moore, Andrea Dykes and her unborn child. Yudi Semelane, Noxolo Noguaza. You're listening to Brad Wolf on SNS Online. I am the bad wolf. I create myself. I take the words. I scatter them in time and space. So, listen, Brad Wolf, thank you so much for joining SNS Online um, today. Uh, your music is amazing. Your answers have been so wonderful and, and very, very honest as well. I really appreciate that, and I'm sure all your, your fans do as well. And I've got to say, some of your tracks are as catchy as chicken pox, and that's meant in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, um, yep, the album will be out soon. But in the meantime, you can go on SoundCloud, and there's about five or six tracks from the new album up there, and they'll be staying up there. But, yeah. The end of the show, we always give our guests a celebrity goodie bag. And obviously, um, just the fact that you're in Australia won't stop us. We got a bottle of champagne over to Hank Marvin, who I think also lives possibly in Melbourne. I can't remember. So, yes, when we get the details from you, something nice will be winging its way through the post, Susa. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You don't need to do that, but I appreciate it. Cheers, Nick. Thanks so much.
It's basically about these incredibly brave, brilliant, extraordinary young women aged mainly between 18 and 28 who flew planes to the front line during World War II. Do you think Emily Davison wanted to kill herself that day? All her journalism is about martyrdom and fire and sacrifice and nobility and awakenings. It just reads like one long suicide note. I think she really meant to do it. Because I wanted the world to get better, and I knew it couldn't get better if it's going to be ruled by men. Matter of fact, I think it's amazing how well the men did for 2,000 years, considering they tried to do it alone. I really feel that all the things about being gay can help us as adopters, because we know what it's like to feel different, and we can share that with our children, and I think the level of empathy is, is quite unique and important. I thought to myself, well, if this is a twice-weekly programme uh, and going on throughout the year, um, I should be editor. So I gave myself uh, the, the job, as it were, and had it um, on the credits, and nobody queried it. It was extraordinary. Girls in the Women's Auxiliary Air Force are being called upon to handle many of the responsible jobs which were previously entrusted only to RAF mechanics and ground staff. And they flew without radar, without sometimes without training on that particular plane. You know, they'd have learnt on a tiger moth and they'd be given a spitfire. I don't think it did help me get a pay rise, but the, po- but, 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 but the point was, I suppose children's programmes were regarded as so insignificant, nobody bothered what went on. Pauline Gower was the woman who spearheaded it. She got equal pay for equal work. Yes, the first woman Ever Which is very, very topical in the news at the moment. And we are still fighting that battle in 2018. <laughs> How does that happen? Rise Up Women, a special season of shows exclusive to SNS Online. 